This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In fairy tales, there's probably no more forbidding place to go than the forest. It's that vast unknown, the place where children leave their parents to get lost and meet the big bad wolf, or get captured by hungry witches in houses made of candy. There's a very practical reason why parents centuries ago would have told their children such cautionary tales about the forest. Back then, there was real danger to be found in the woods. It was a place where you might stumble across a pack of hungry wolves or a rogue bandit lying in wait for an unsuspecting traveler. Or, for whatever reason, you might just leave the relative safety of the path and end up hopelessly lost. Europeans who came to settle in North America were often fearful of the native tribes that made their homes in the forest. Not coincidentally, they would make up supernatural stories about the devils that lie in wait for God-fearing interlopers into the woods. Although urban sprawl has wiped out much of the forest around the globe, there are still vast swaths of woodlands to be found. Places where it's possible for a person to get lost, or, if you're of more of a criminal mindset, places where you can safely dispose of a body without much fear of it being found. On a Sunday morning in April 1943, a group of four teenage boys were out hunting for birds' nests in Hagley Woods, part of a private estate near Birmingham in England's Midlands. They were trespassing, but on that day they didn't really care. They were just four boys out looking for some fun. What they found was something else entirely. They came across a gnarled old witch elm with a hollowed-out trunk. Fifteen-year-old Bob Farmer climbed up and peered inside. What he saw was something terrible staring back at him from the dark interior. It was a human skull, with a clump of skin and hair still clinging to the forehead, and two crooked teeth gaping out of the mouth. The boys passed the skull around to get a better look at it. Then they put it back where they found it, and made a pact to never tell anyone what they discovered. But sometimes secrets have a way of getting out, no matter how hard you try to keep them. And sometimes the dead do tell tales. You just have to know the right questions to ask. I'm Nate Hale, and the woods are lovely, dark, and deep. And this is The Conspirators. boys returned home, vowing among themselves to never speak of what they had found, because they'd been trespassing and didn't want to get into trouble. But the youngest of the boys was so traumatized he told his parents anyway about finding the skull, and they soon contacted the authorities. The police went to the scene and retrieved the skull from the tree trunk. After digging deeper, they found the rest of the skeleton, minus one of the hands. They later found the hand bones scattered some distance away from the tree. 
The skeleton was female, and along with the bones, they found a piece of taffeta stuffed into the skull's mouth. They also found a few scraps of clothing with the labels cut out, a gold ring, and a pair of well-worn shoes. Pathologist James Webster was able to determine that the woman had been about 35 years old, and that she had died no more than 18 months before. She had crooked teeth, brown hair, had been about 5 feet tall, and at some point had given birth. The pathologist was unable to find any obvious signs of what killed her, so he surmised she had choked to death from the piece of cloth someone had jammed down her throat. He thought she had been placed inside the witch elm shortly after being killed. Because the gap she'd been stuffed into was so tight, she never would have fit if she had been dead long enough for rigor mortis to have set in. James Webster did a thorough job in creating a reasonable description of the woman, and the police were convinced that it was only a matter of time before she was identified. But despite scouring through more than 3,000 missing persons cases, her identity remained a mystery. A search of dental records also proved fruitless, even though the woman had a tooth removed from her lower jaw within a year before her death. The only tip that came in was from an industrial company executive who said back in July 1941 he was walking to his home in Hagley Green when he heard a woman's screams coming from Hagley Woods. He ran into a schoolteacher walking in the opposite direction who heard the same thing. The two of them called the police, but nothing was found. This would have been about 20 months before the skeleton's discovery, which fit with the pathologist's timeline. But although this was a promising lead, it didn't go anywhere, and soon the investigation stalled. The case dragged on, and soon interest began to wane in the press. This was England in 1943 and the big news night after night was where and when the next German bombs were going to fall. By Christmas 1943, the case had all but faded from memory for most people. That is, until the graffiti started appearing. Who put Lubella down the witch elm was what the first message read. No one knows who wrote it even today. Other messages soon followed that began appearing scrawled on walls throughout the West Midlands that said, Hagleywood Bella and then later, who put Bella in the witch elm. From then on, the police and public began referring to the dead woman as Bella. All the graffiti appeared to be by the same hand, which implied that whoever the person was, he or she knew more than they were letting on. Two years passed, then the case attracted the attention of anthropologist Professor Margaret Murray of the University College London. Professor Murray had published several books on the occult, although most of her colleagues didn't take them very seriously. Professor Murray speculated that the missing hand might have been used as an element in a black magic ritual known as a Hand of Glory. In ancient European tradition, a Hand of Glory was an object of great power that, when burned like a candle, could be used to ward off evil spirits or to bring great fortune. In the original black magic ritual, it would have been made from the dried or pickled hand of a man who had been hanged. This didn't exactly fit the circumstances of Bella in the Witch Elm, but the press didn't seem to make that distinction, and they seized on the occult angle of the story. Professor Murray later added that, according to some black magic rituals, it was possible to capture a witch's spirit by placing her body inside a tree. By the way, the term witch, as in the Witch Elm, spelled W-Y-C-H, actually has nothing to do with magic and witchcraft. 
It really refers to the wicker that was sometimes made from that variety of tree. But even the graffiti artist didn't seem to make that distinction, because eventually the question that appeared on walls all over town, who put Bella in the witch elm, W-Y-C-H, changed spellings into W-I-T-C-H, which probably only helped further Professor Murray's theories about black magic and the occult being involved. Although Professor Murray was considered an expert in her field, she also had a tendency to see witches everywhere. One of her books was all about a secret cabal of witches that had infiltrated the highest echelons of English nobility and had managed to murder several kings. I should point out that the name Bella is sometimes associated with witches, since it's a shortened version of the name Belladonna. As lurid and exciting as the witchcraft theory was in regards to Bella's murder, there was really very little evidence to support it, and some investigators had already suggested that the hand bones had simply been scattered by a scavenging animal, not a would-be witch. The occult continued to figure in the story when the body of a local man named Charles Walton was found pinned to the ground by a pitchfork in the nearby village of Lower Quinton. Professor Murray connected both cases, and Scotland Yard took these theories seriously enough to investigate them as possibly related. Belief that Bella's murder was tied to black magic continued into the 1950s, when a journalist named Wilford Byford Jones revived interest in the case after he began writing a series of columns about it, and he later received the first solid lead in a decade. Byford Jones received a letter from a woman who only identified herself as Anna that pointed investigators away from black magic and the occult and towards another type of evil entirely. The letter read, Finish your articles regarding the witch crime by all means. They are interesting to your readers, but you will never solve the mystery. The one person who could give you the answer is now beyond the jurisdiction of the earthly courts. The affair is closed and involves no witches, black magic, or moonlight rites. Anna claimed that Bella had been involved in a Nazi spy ring operating in England in the 1940s. The ring, Anna said, consisted of a British officer, a Dutchman, and a music hall artist. This actually seems more plausible than the black magic theory, because German spies were known to be operating in the area during the time because of the number of munitions factories throughout the British Midlands. Byford Jones would continue to correspond with Anna, who would eventually reveal herself as really being named Una Mossop. Her husband Jack had been a munitions factory worker in the 1940s, and he came into some money after meeting a mysterious man she referred only to as the Dutchman. Jack later admitted to Una that the Dutchman was actually a Nazi spy, and that he'd been passing information about the local industrial sites to him. That information was then in turn passed on to another agent posing as a cabaret performer at local nightclubs. Throughout the 1940s, the German Luftwaffe had been dropping bombs throughout the Midlands, and such information about key targets would have been invaluable to the Nazi war effort. According to Una Mossop, one day her husband Jack met his contact at a local pub near Hagley Woods. There was a Dutch woman with them during their meeting, and the two of them had been arguing. The Dutchman told Jack to drive them both to Clent Hills, but during the drive the argument turned violent, and the Dutchman strangled the woman to death. Fearing for his own life, Jack helped the Dutchman hide the woman's body in the trunk of a hollowed-out elm tree in Hagley Woods. Una Mossop said that her husband was so traumatized by the incident that he began having horrific visions of the dead woman in the tree that eventually drove him mad. He was institutionalized in 1941, 
and died in the mental hospital a year later. The timing of Una Masip's story fit perfectly with the pathologist's claim that Bella's body would have been placed in the tree 18 months before the boys found her. The woman's story was so convincing that Britain's MI5 got involved. They were able to confirm some of the details of the woman's story, but were evidently unable to locate the other individuals involved. Some have speculated that British intelligence may have attempted to cover the whole incident up. Remember, this was less than a decade after the end of the war, and many of the stories of espionage from that era were still classified. Further bolstering the claims of a cover-up were the fact that Bella's remains mysteriously went missing, making it impossible for any further forensic analysis. Bella's story faded into semi-obscurity. Strangely, the mysterious graffiti continued to appear throughout the years all the way up to the present day. But the perpetrator, or perpetrators, were never found. Then in 1968, Donald McCormick published a book titled Murder by Witchcraft, which, despite the title, expanded on the espionage story. McCormick had been able to obtain German intelligence files about a Nazi agent named Lehrer who had been operating in the Midlands in 1941. According to the German records, Lehrer had a Dutch girlfriend living with him in Birmingham, and her name was Clarabella Dronkers. So was Clarabella the same Bella found in the tree? Clarabella would have been about the right age, 30, and she did have crooked teeth. Even more tantalizing about the story is that a real Nazi spy was captured in the area and executed in 1942. His name was Johannes Marinus Dronkers. If Clarabella really was this Nazi spy's wife, that would also seem to explain the gold wedding ring found with the skeleton in the witch elm. It's been speculated that there was some sort of love triangle going on among the trio, and that might have been the catalyst that drove the murder to occur. While the precise details of the spy ring remain unclear, many of the known details seem to fit the story of Bella and the witch elm extremely well. One further piece of evidence that seems to confirm the story are reports from the era alerting the British Home Guard that possible Nazi agents had parachuted into the area in 1940 and were known to be operating in the Midlands throughout the following year. One of the operatives was codenamed Clara. In recent years, newly declassified British intelligence files have shed further light on the German spy ring story. In 1941, a Czech-born Gestapo agent named Joseph Jacobs was captured after parachuting into England. Jacobs had the dubious distinction of being the last man executed at the Tower of London. One of the items found on Jacobs had been a photograph of a young woman. She was a German movie star and cabaret singer named Clara Bauerla. Jacobs revealed to his interrogators that he had met Clara in a cafe in Germany, and the two of them had been lovers. The Gestapo recruited Clara and turned her into a secret agent. Bauerla had actually worked in England for a couple of years before the war, and she would have made an ideal spy because she'd managed to develop a convincing British accent. Jacob said Clara was supposed to follow him to England and make contact with him after parachuting in, but he added that he thought it was unlikely she'd continue with the operation after his capture. When the British Secret Service determined that they would be unable to turn Jacobs to their side, they later executed him in front of a firing squad. As for Clara Bauerla, she vanished and was never heard from again after 1941, which would fit the timeline with the later discovery of Bella and the Witch Elm. 
Although casting some doubt on this story are a few reports from people who claim to have evidence that Clara Bauerla continued to live in Germany until at least 1943. MI5 learned that Clara Bauerla had been born in Stuttgart in 1906, making her 35. She had indeed worked for two years on the cabaret circuit throughout the British Midlands. It isn't too big of a stretch to see how people could have remembered Clara Bauerla as Clara Bella. It's possible someone may have even recognized her after returning to the area and threatened to reveal her true identity. In fact, some reports have said that at least one piece of the mysterious graffiti that had been appearing over the years actually used the name Clarabella. Despite the amount of evidence that seems to fit the case, there are still a few loose ends that don't really fit the overall narrative. For one thing, as far as anyone knows, none of the other members of the spy ring were ever found. For another... If Bella was really a member of this spy ring and was murdered because of it, why go to such an unusual and out-of-the-way location to hide the body? And how would the perpetrator even know about such a location? Besides that, the pathologist who examined Bella's remains said that she had been only five feet, whereas Clara Bauerla was known to be quite a bit taller. Other theories have sprung up over the years that have suggested Bella might have actually been a prostitute murdered by an angry John or that she was a local barmaid murdered by a drunken G.I. Probably the most far-fetched story of all was that Bella was a gypsy woman murdered during a black magic ritual. This particular tale sprung up as a variation on the witch stories put forth by Professor Murray. The mystery of who killed Bella and why has remained one of the most enduring and intriguing mysteries in British history. In August 1999, people began to gather outside the crumbling remains of Hagley Hall. There, on the grounds behind a barbed wire fence, stands a 200-year-old stone obelisk, and sometime overnight someone had decorated it with fresh graffiti. It was that same familiar question that first appeared more than 50 years before, and still remains unanswered to this day. Who put Bella in the Witch Elm? The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by downloading it on iTunes and leaving us a positive review. We're also available on Stitcher and the Google Play Store. Thanks for listening.